Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. The long-anticipated Hall of Fame announcement is coming up soon. Rockies fans everywhere are waiting to hear if the great Todd Helton will get that well-deserved call this year. A guy who's been covering the Rockies since day one, Jack Etkin, formerly of the Rocky Mountain News and now with Baseball America, joins us to talk about Helton's Hall of Fame career and his chances at induction this year or perhaps next. Oh, and a little bit about that pesky East Coast bias, too. That's what's coming up next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay right here. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Well, Manny, it's uh, getting close. Clock is ticking. Uh, Hall of Fame announcement comes up next week. Uh, everybody around here, I don't know if pins and needles is the right term, but everybody's kind of anxious to see what happens with Todd Helton's candidacy in his fifth year. And uh, tonight we're really lucky to be joined by a guy who's been, not very many of us, who've been here since day one. I'm talking about Hello, My Name Is, tags in spring training day one. 1993 one day one. Us. Yeah, day exactly. One. Yeah. Jack Edkin joins us. Uh, Jack, thank you for taking some time to be with us tonight. Happy to join you guys. Jack, the uh, Hall of Fame thing, or the Baseball Writers Association of America goes through you here in Denver. And I think that nobody has any gripes as far as I know with uh, what's going on here with the Hall of Fame Hall of Fame votes around here. But man, we're seeing some stuff. I don't know if you're watching. There's some goofy stuff going on. Guys sitting in blank ballots, guys doing, you know, voting for who knows who and, and leaving off the obvious candidates. As a, as a member of the association, do you get frustrated with your membership at all when it comes to these votes? What you're referring to, Mark, you know, blank ballots or, you know, the guy that votes for, I saw one guy this year, I think he voted for one player. That was uh, Frankie Rodriguez, the relief yeah. pitcher for the first time. I don't, you know, I don't really get frustrated because it happens every year. And it's just part of the uh, the deal, I guess. I guess the good thing is you've got, you know, I don't know what the final total of voters will be this year, but it's going to be over 400. Mm. So. Um, you know, if somebody misses by one vote, I suppose you could say, well, why did that guy do that? Right. Uh, typically, I think this evens out because there's so many people voting so that the the outliers, the anomalies, whatever you want to call them, are uh, they're kind of papered over. There are a lot of Jack on that subject. There are a lot of, you know, and people people who don't know how the 
how this works um, as far as the BBWAA and the and the Hall of Fame and kind of the the um, the interplay between the rules of voting and you know the the kind of freedom to vote how you want to vote. What do you say to people who say there needs to be an overhaul of who the vote you know the the electorate and say look if you're you know if you're not showing up to these games enough or if you're you're sending in blank ballots when it's just it's it's quote unquote absurd in in other words from the outside looking in to somebody who's just a casual baseball observer says it's absurd that you're you're sending in a blank ballot do you think that that's something that's necessary or do you think that things are working out well enough as uh, kind of because it just evens out in the end i would probably opt for the uh, the latter i mean the hall of fame is the ones that set the rules they're the ones right. that that a few years ago decided, well, we only want somebody to be on the ballot for 10 years as opposed to 15 years, assuming they continue to get at least 5% of the of the vote. Um, you know, the writers are sort of doing the bidding of the Hall of Fame, and the Hall of Fame has never come close to putting out any instructions other than on the back of your ballot, there are sort of some instructions that were there in 1936 when the uh, voting started, and they talk about um, games played and integrity and sportsmanship and things that were uh, basically kind of glossed over until we hit the steroid era. Do you think, Jack, I want, let me ask you, do you think that there needs to be a narrowing of the criteria? That's pretty that's pretty, uh, pretty broad. And, and that's why you sometimes you get Placido Polanco getting votes or you get, you know, what have you. Um, do you think that that needs to be narrowed down? No, I don't think so, because I think most serious voters, number one, probably don't pay that much attention to it. And they, you know, they do something in the way of research. I think what could could happen is something you touched on earlier, Manny, which is that, you know, can the electorate be whittled? And that has been done. Um, I don't know how many years ago, but it was a thing where if you, if you are, um, you know, besides being a uh, BBWA member for 10 consecutive years, if you haven't been covering and if you haven't been an active member, um, there was uh, an attempt by the Hall of Fame to essentially stop those people from voting, which reduced the number of votes considerably. Now, I think that, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but I know some people that are that vote and either really don't know much in the way of history or what they're looking at or don't come out to the park very yep, often. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's plenty of people, Mark, and this has been done, I think, by the BBWA as newspapers were, uh, you know, hitting the skids and, and uh, drying up. You know, there's there are people in the BBWA, worthy members, who don't come to the park, but they might or fan graphs or, you know, sure. some sites where they're probably paying more attention than some of the people who but are. They are There's, producing content, baseball content. They're just not ignoring baseball, which is the really, I think what Manny's getting at the guys who just ignore baseball. That really drives us crazy. I would agree with you. I would agree. And there are some people and, and I won't name names, but mm-hmm. I know those no. people. No doubt. Hey, Jack, there, there are some papers now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the New York Times, one of them, don't let their members vote because they're into that, uh, you know, don't make the news, report the news thing. Um, how's the association handling that? Do you guys, I mean, there's some guys who know their know their business who are, are prohibited well, from voting. The BBWA has no say in that. If, if the paper, which is to say the writer's employer, says it's uh, our policy, our newspaper's policy, that we don't want you participating in awards, then so be it. The Times is like that. I think the Washington Post is like that, too. So we're talking about two preeminent papers that that have, uh, you know, uh, worthy voters 
who yeah. don't. Yeah, and that's a little disappointing too, because who who better really? People that cover the game on a daily basis should be the ones making these decisions, and it's not, you know, it, it, baseball is the only sport that does that, and it's 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 kind of strange. I, I don't really understand that rationale myself. Mark but has not- brought the, Mark has brought this up too, uh, Jack. He's he's brought this up before with other people. We talked to Jason Stark and some other folks about this uh, on this topic. But do you think that broadcasters, guys, these guys are there every day and they are on the road with the club every day and they're seeing every other club that the, their 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 team plays do you think they should have a voice in this no um, it's we're the baseball writers association of america emphasis on writers and my feeling quite honestly is that the broadcasters are a little too close to the club ah, okay and, so there's a there's well, there are, a, there's okay, a more of a bias I, I, I don't i don't disagree with that jack but i would say that there are national writers or national broadcasters who also write who you know for for whatever the network, maybe MLB.com stuff like that, who, who contribute written content as well as broadcasting content uh, on a national basis that are watching games. Maybe they're back, back East, watch them on a bunch of different TVs, but those people are, are in the know and, you know, Harold Reynolds and people like that, that could add something to this process. I wouldn't dispute that Harold Reynolds could add something to the process at all, but I wouldn't open it up so that, uh, you know, people that are, you know, uh, adding less to the process or would add less to the process, but are employed by this, this, the yeah. same work, but have that opportunity. Talking about some blurred lines here. I mean, yes, definitely. When you talk about a guy like Jason Stark, who I've known for years, although I haven't seen him in quite a while, and I respect Jason's work. I mean, Jason has a podcast now with Doug Glanville, and there it, it's, I don't uh, listen regularly, but on occasion I do listen. I respect them both. So, you know, um, does that mean that Doug Glanville should get a vote because he's a, a media member and an ex-player? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, you're getting a little close to home with that one, Jack. Um, Mark, you're well, never going to make it. I know, I know. You're never going to make it. Just give I gotta up get now. The Denver, Denver Post have to hire me. I understand. <laughs> but if Doug Glanville, for instance, were, a, were also writing, say there was a, an outlet that he was writing about baseball on a regular basis, would that change your, your, your thought process? Possibly. I mean, I, I mean, I've, what I've read of Doug Glanville's writing has been outstanding and mm-hmm. I've seen him in a while, but I've told him I've enjoyed it and got to know him a little bit uh, when he was playing. Um, Is it just not regular enough to fit the criteria? Just not, you know, everyday kind of thing? Well, it doesn't have to necessarily be every day. I don't think every day. I mean, you can get, uh, you know, I guess diluted or watered down. I mean, you may not be taking your best shot if you're doing it every right. day nice to be able to think and deliberate uh, although I, I will tell i'll take this opportunity to tell you you guys who, who've done beat writers and i've never done that but i don't know how you do it i really don't i don't know how you come up with a fresh angle and a fresh story on a daily basis well i'll tell you what if you're ever going to be a beat I, I writer first thing you're going to have to start doing mark is drinking coffee yes well i don't like coffee i don't Not trust coffee. any i don't trust writers who don't beat yes writers i know we've had this dis- we've had this discussion already um what are the stomach doesn't like reasons i can drink coffee at Eight or nine at night, and it doesn't keep me up. There you go. Oof. That's right, man. All right. All right, let's shift to the topic at hand, uh, Todd Helton. Obviously, big push around here for Todd Helton. Early returns are very encouraging. He's in above 75% most, on most uh, charts of people who've made their ballots public to this point. However, Manny and those guys who do the analysis think he'll come up short. Where do you, what do you think? Well, I don't do the analysis, but based on following the 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 Hall of Fame tracker that's out there to to, to follow, and I, I do follow it, not necessarily every day, but fairly regularly. Uh, you know, the uh, I think the way that seems to, to pan out is that the uh, vote total that's publicly announced will decrease when the 
uh, non-publicly announced right. vote come in. So it's great that Todd's at 79% or whatever. I think he's going to get a, a good push this year, and I would be hopeful and, and encouraged, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't go over 60. I don't know how far over 60. Hmm. I, mean, I agree. I think that's. I think he's going to land somewhere between 60 and 63 or something like that. But um, it's going to basically set him up for 2024. And, uh, you know, and honestly, I, you know, if you told me 2024 a couple of years ago, I never would have believed that for Todd Hilton. It it really is, uh, I think, a matter of the the um, the ballot thinning out with the steroid guys off a lot of them and Bonds and Clemens and 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 uh, and and Schilling, who is another controversial guy. So I think that that's really boosting him and it's going to it's accelerating the process for Hilton to the point where he might get in in 24, which, again, that's quite a climb. That's quite a climb. I, I agree with you. And the other thing that's helped Manny, of course, is that there's no slam dunk first ballot automatic right. pro Rivera. Next year in 24, there's at least one of those guys, and that's Beltre. Right. And he'll get the other guys that are uh, eligible, the other guys of note, there's going to be you know more than these guys. Right. But Joe Maurer's eligible next year, Chase Utley and David Wright. I don't see any of those guys as first ballot automatics, but they're going to get votes. And deservedly right. so, not going to disappear from the ballot, but Beltre will get votes. And then 25, you've got Ichiro, who's a slam dunk. And uh, I'm not sure he's a slam dunk, but CC Sabathia's probably got a pretty good chance to get in that year. And Petraeo will get votes. I wouldn't say he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So the ballot's going to get, I don't want to say it's going to get clogged up the way it was, but you know this was the year when it was really wide open for the for the Heltons or the Rollins or the Billy Wagners, or the, you know the guys that were um, sort of who were doing trending well and and uh, gaining ground in, in recent years. It's, it's frustrating for a lot of us, Jack, because Todd Helton hasn't taken in at bat in, in five years. He you know he hasn't gotten any better. His numbers haven't gotten any better. But now he you know you got to wait. You got to have get more votes. Listen. Yeah, I'm a lot better now than I was when I played, according to people I talked to, right? I get I get that thought process, but it doesn't make any sense when we have all these numbers, all these analytics, all these all this proof, dead solid proof that it's not about Coors Field. Todd Helton's a Hall of Fame player. He's better than a lot of guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. What's taking people so long to come come around to this? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that, but I think obviously you you know, Coors Field played into it and, and that door was cracked open by Larry. Um, although there's some people that will say, well, yeah, Larry played ten years there and Todd played his whole career there. But of course then the counter argument to that is take a look at his road numbers and his uh, road OPS, etc. Um, I think part of it is that um, you know, the Rockies are the only team in, in a uh, sort of a forgotten time zone. No question. T- Todd played on two teams, went to the postseason. You know, by and large, the teams he played on were mediocre at best, and, and most yep. of the time less than that. So um, he didn't have a chance to uh, sort of be seen and recognized in too many Octobers and be seen and recognized in too many uh, meaningful games in September. Mm-hmm. That's probably hurt him to some degree, too. Um, you know, I, I wrote about this this week. I emphasize wrote about this this week. The Boston people, Boston wanted to trade for, for Todd Helton in 20, 2007, right? The Red Sox and the Rockies talked trade in 2007. They really wanted Todd Helton out in Boston. And now it's the Boston guys and the people around the East Coast that aren't voting for him. I mean, you know, Dan Shaughnessy and guys like that are just thumbing their nose at him, the East Coast guys. What is it about the East Coast? I mean, the East Coast bias is a real thing. We understand that. But it's particularly galling in baseball because they just they just don't want to recognize, as you mentioned, the forgotten times and all that. But the, the numbers are the numbers, and they're there for everybody to read. 
And the Eastern time zone guys just don't want to pay attention to this. They just, I'm sorry, he played at Coors Field. I don't care what the numbers say. Well, you know, people dig in and have their opinions, and that's uh, that's called stubbornness. I don't, you know, um, as somebody who grew up in the East, I've been out here for a long, long time. I'm not trying to defend guys from the East Coast, but you know, and I'm, and I'm aware of, you know, Dan Shaughnessy. I think he's voted for Campbell, and and you know, that's his prerogative. But I don't think that, you know, you can make a blanket statement and say that Todd Helton's getting no support from the East Coast guys. I think it's it's. It's increasing support. It, you, you can, as you've done, you can certainly pick out some instances of how can this guy not vote for Todd Helton, or how can this, these people from this paper not vote for for Todd Helton? But I mean, you know, the the Boston Globe did, uh, as some papers do. I think the San Francisco Chronicle does. You know, they released their ballots uh, as a lump. Yeah, yeah, one day. Mm-hmm. So you, and and yeah, there were you know Shaughnessy was I don't know if he was an outlier. Bob Holder. No, there were three three out of the six voted for him. Two out of six last year, three out of six this year. And then the, I read something of the guy from Worcester who who didn't vote for him, who just had no rationale for not doing so. Uh, so I, I count that maybe three out of seven those people. Holder who hasn't covered in a long time, and this is the last year is voting for whatever reason he sent in a blank ballot. But you know, there are there are a few people that uh, that from the Globe probably. Um, you know, maybe not as uh, crusty or set in their ways. Um, <laughs> did, did did vote for Todd? I mean, part of the problem is you're going to have more and more voters who never saw him play. And, and the yep. name that I had is Tony Perez, who had to wait and wait and wait. This is when yep. he could be for 15 years. Yep. And he, every deserving teammate—I shouldn't say every deserving teammate—because Concepcion didn't make it, and right. of course Rose didn't make it. But it took him forever, and was that right? Was that fair? I don't think so. Well, I agree with you. Um, going going to Todd's career, um, because you you know you give us a unique perspective from almost anybody really um, yep. around here. Absolutely. In that you were there from day one. Um, when we talked on the phone, you had mentioned uh, Three River Stadium when Todd came up, and um, tell us what your first impressions were of this kid um, when he uh, was coming up and got to the big leagues and when it became apparent that this guy might really have a shot to be in this conversation, you know, uh, 25 years later. Well, I'm not sure I can pinpoint that, but I do remember, yes, as I talked to you on the phone, I do remember that he came up in Pittsburgh and three rivers. I can picture that clubhouse and even where his locker was, um, which is <laughs> overkill on my part. And he, and he made his debut playing left field because Cat yep. was playing. Really? I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. It's like Michael Toglia. Yeah. Toglia played right field. Cat was playing first base then, and yeah. uh, so this was nineteen ninety six. No, six. Yep. Yeah. Was it six? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Drafted ninety five. Yeah, I know he came up in August. I think so. It, yep. Well, because the cat was gone in ninety seven. Um, the one thing I remember is Don Baylor, who of course was a wonderful man and was a great mentor to Todd. When uh, Todd was drafted, and and Baylor, of course, was a great hitting guy. Um, he had been a hitting coach, you know. He he, and we're talking, you know, before launch angles and any of the yep. metrics. But I can remember um, Don told the minor league people, "Don't touch his swing. Don't mm-hmm. do a." Th-. Not that anybody was going to attempt to do it. So you know, from the get go, uh, an, an acute eye like Baylor's could recognize. Um, just magnificence in terms of the mechanics. I think the other thing that made Todd so great was his mental toughness. Um, he played day after day. 
Um, he played he played with who knows how many bumps and bruises. Obviously, you look at the last few years of his career when his back was really bothering him more, and he didn't play as often, and his production waned, but that happens. Um, you know, I can't necessarily say, well, there was this game or this pitch or this at bat that made me realize that, wow, this guy's uh, going to be pretty special. But I do remember that that Todd, when Todd was starting out and, and Baylor was, I don't want to say nursing him, but protecting him to some degree, Greg Colburn was here. And Greg Colburn was a fine major league player. And Greg Colburn was a right-handed hitter and played first base and did it fine. And Todd, you know, chafed a little bit at uh, not – playing against lefties Don was protecting him but there came a time and it didn't take very long can't tell you exactly when it was where Todd was uh had grown enough as a hitter if you will in Don's eyes that he could not be platooned he could hit against lefties and they traded Greg Colburn not because Greg Colburn was a bad guy it's just like well thank you you know we're gonna uh, we're, we're gonna let this guy set sail on his own and that was that was fairly early, and I think Colby was traded to Atlanta for a member, and um, you know did well years. You know, Jack. Um, one thing that goes unnoticed, not by pitchers, trust me, uh, is defense. I mean, there's some metrics that try to measure defense and all that, and and they have the Gold Glove awards. But I, I contend that the guy who plays first base with all the things he has to do over there, digging balls out of the dirt and bad throws and all that kind of stuff, that's an undervalued position defensively. And Todd was exceptional. Should have won more Gold Gloves than he did. Now we all know. Andres Galarraga was a superior defensive player. One of the two best I've ever seen along with Keith Hernandez. But Todd was right there. He was right there with those two as a glove man. Is that valued enough by Hall of Fame voters? Do they look at that? Or, as you mentioned, some didn't even see him play. So they just look at, oh, a couple of gold gloves. He must have been decent. Yeah, I think that's really sort of the extent of it. Um, well, I can say that. I mean, there are defensive metrics. I don't profess to fully understand it by any means that, that guys do and can look at. But it's the rare player who's Ozzie Smith, whose defense is going to carry him into the Hall of Fame. And, and Ozzie could hit. He would sound yeah. like he, was, he wasn't Ray Euler, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, I can remember when Buddy Bell was managing here, and that would have been uh, after O'Dowd became the GM. So we're talking to like, 2000 and i'd never seen this before and i'm sure that this is not new and buddy didn't invent it but he would go out every day with a fungo and and he would stand um sort of behind second base um draw a straight line from first base through second base and he would stand behind second base near the uh outfield grass and hit these hard one hoppers with a fungo to todd just to get him to react mm -hmm. whatever and this was a pretty regular thing i'd never seen it done before i'm sure it had been done before and and it was buddy's way of you know helping todd along um on the, on the defensive side you know you mentioned hernandez and i mean one of the things hernandez was exceptional at and todd was just as good both being um left-handed throwers was you know to come in and charge the ball and be able to with a runner on first charge a bunt and be able to make the throw to second base, you know, without having or, or third. Yeah. Or, or third without yeah. having yep. a right-handed thrower. Yeah. And do that quickly and do it accurately. Yep. And, Very undervalued. Very yeah, undervalued. Who as a pitcher would appreciate. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Save that, everything. Um, it, uh, what was it like to watch? Because one thing we know about Todd, well, two things. You alluded to the one is that he, you know, back problems and, and things, you know, caused him to tail off at the plate toward the end. 
But from 2000 to 2004, five, I mean, there weren't, there were, there wasn't a better hitting first baseman and in, in baseball. I mean, I think his OPS plus was, I think there were two guys, uh, if I remember correctly, that had a higher OPS plus over that period, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, that's it. And um, that's so OPS plus is park adjusted. So obviously this is, we're talking um, very, very high, uh, very high echelon stuff here. What was it like to watch those, those particular years? Cause he had one of the great peaks uh, pun, I guess, intended with the fact that he's a Rocky, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> Got to get one in every one show. Of the, one of the great peaks of any player that we've ever seen. What was that period like to watch him? Well, I don't, you know, without knowing exactly what the team's records were, he may have been the only guy worth yeah. watching. Yeah, good. Years. But, you know, you, you just had the, the feeling, if you were out there every day, that you were watching, you know, something that was sublime, something that was magnificent. And, yeah, the argument was, made, well, he's doing this in Coors Field. Well, yeah, well, he had pretty good numbers on the road, too. I mean, the guy, Mark, you would know this, when, yep. when, when teams when teams were looking uh, – we're, we're trying to match up against the Rockies. Who's the one guy you don't want to let beat you? Mm-hmm. And he, and he often did beat you. And, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he, he was, it would be, this is, I'm not segueing very well, but I'd be very curious to see what he would have done in today's age before shifts were outlawed as a left-handed hitter. Um, I, I don't think, I, I don't think they would have shifted on Todd Helton. I think they would have had to stay stay where they were at because he could hit the ball the other way. He could head back and draw. Some of the best at bats Todd Helton ever had didn't come up. He didn't have to end up with a hit. I mean, he'd foul off six or seven nasty pitches and then put the ball in play. And I mean, the only other guy I saw do that was Wade Boggs. Uh, you know, trust me, I, from the bad end of that, it, it was just those are the kind of things that you have to watch him to appreciate. Which goes back to your point again, Jack, about the voters who are voting now didn't see him play. And right. they just go by the numbers and the numbers say you should be in the hall of fame, but it's nice to have your eyeballs to back that up. Well, I would agree. And, you know, to get back to something you said, yeah, he could hit the ball the other way and he could hit the ball the other way hard. You know, yep. he wasn't balls in the left field yep. um, by, by any means. And yeah, he was, you know, I don't know if this hurt Todd. Todd was not a guy who liked to call attention to himself. He was still doesn't uh, still doesn't. And, and if he, and I think if he did right now, he'd probably be in the hall of fame already. Yeah, I mean, if he was, uh, uh, what's a good example? He was Jimmy Rollins. Yeah, yeah. Steve been, Atwater. If he was Steve good. Atwater. He'd be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not, a, not, you know. Well, I mean, it, Steve Atwater, when he wasn't getting the votes, decide they decided to put him on the radio. They decided to get him out front, like you said. You not necessarily be a self promoter, but be visible. And right. I've intended. I've talked about this a couple of times on the show. If Todd would do things like maybe, okay, if he's living back in Knoxville, do some. Tennessee games on TV for the SEC network. Just put your face out there. Let people remember who you were. I think he'd draw a few more votes that way. I really do. I think if he was a, a, had a tick more of that self-promoter in, just a little bit, not Deion Sanders level, but just a little tick of self-promoting, I think you're talking about a guy who would get the, more, the attention that he deserves. But you're right, Jack. He just won't do that. Well, you know, the the the, the gap between him and Deion Sanders. To, uh, <laughs> Grand Canyon. That's a quantum leap. Yes, it is. But that, that was just Todd's style. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was content. He was content to never. Be, and, uh, you know, when he was interviewed, he saw it as part of his job. Yep. Um, I can always remember talking to Todd if I was going to do a story. And I'd say, Todd, this is just courtesy protocol for a beat writer. Can I talk to you tomorrow? Can you give me 10 minutes, 15 minutes? And he would say, what are we going to talk about? And I don't remember any other player asking, what are we going to talk about? So I would toss out in, you know, a sentence and a half what the topic was going to be. And he would say, okay, fine. 
you know, it's not like he was going to go home and bone up or prepare. Right. It was going to be good to the beat writers as, as most, well, Bonds would, I suppose, be an exception. Yeah. But I mean, Larry was like that. I had covered George Brett in his prime and, you know, George was really good to the beat writers and, and, it was a different time. There was there was no internet at that time. But you know, Todd was not at all into self promotion. He certainly recognized that part of my being a professional is I'm going to get written about. Yeah, yeah. You know, really nice. You know, for instance, Dion was on uh, with Peyton and Eli last night, the Monday Night Football game. Well, what you know, they certainly could. Peyton could certainly have Todd Helton on during a Bronco game on Monday Night Football. Little things like that might go a ways towards towards getting him some people to, to knock themselves in the head. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. You got to give give him a little better look to what he did as a, you know, as a baseball player. Another thing that that would help, um, I think, and it's interesting because this is it's an intersection with another story that came out that has nothing to do with the Rockies. But Ryan Sandberg is going to get a statue at Wrigley. That's the sixth one that's going to go up there at that ballpark. And um, the Rockies have one statue. The anonymous ball player. Yeah, the anonymous ball player. And uh, so, you know, the question is, you know, and I, I think this is a great one for you, Jack, because you've been here since day one. I, I would love to, I think, have your thoughts on whether there should be player statues now that there's going to be two Hall of Famers uh, with this franchise and it's a 30-year-old franchise. And, you know, it, it's tailor there, there's a There's a pose yep. that's tailor-made already. I yep. mean, that we're, we're Helton grabbed that, you know, pennant-clinching. Yep. Ball at first base from yeah. Tulowitzki, uh, with uh, with uh, what's his name diving back uh, into first base. Uh, Eric Burns diving to first base. Do you yeah. think that there ought to be statues of players? And if so, um, you know who should be the first and what should be the first? Well, let me say that if you're going to have a statue of Todd Helton, I think you should have a bat in his hand. Um, that's a that's not a bad point. That iconic picture. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it was in our paper, the Rocky Mountain News. Yep. It's, you know, the, the, the page is, is there, <laughs> the press box. Yep. I think these things have to, have to, you know, be done slowly over time. How much time? Obviously, we're talking about 30 years now. Um, they've retired two numbers, and that's fine. I'm not big on retiring numbers. I mean, like the Yankees do. And I think that what should be done first, before you start to talk about statues, is is a Hall of Fame for the Rockies, and yeah, that they've been talking about it, but it hasn't happened yet. Nope. It hasn't come to. And they got McGregor Square; they got the perfect place to put it now. A Walk of Fame, a Hall of Fame, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Um, other teams are doing that, and like they have the nice one in Milwaukee. They they should be doing that. That should have been done already. Well, and now, as you say, Mark, with McGregor Square, and I've not been into McGregor Square, but I'm sure that they could either they have or they could carve out mm-hmm. some and generate some revenue because they charge people like a you know clearly there's uh, been enough history here to uh figure out who who should belong and set some logistics uh, who votes how many people get voted in possibly every year i think that's a first step before you start talking about statues but i wouldn't right. start talking about statues yeah the two guys that are in the hall of fame certainly merit statues well and and, and it's time they honored don baylor andres galarraga yeah. Don Baylor's one that you wonder yep. about, you know, right. having, you know, if they're, if, you're, if Helton and Walker are going to have their numbers up there, Don Baylor, you'd think number 25. I agree. Could be up there too. I completely agree. One of the kindest and, and the nicest uh, men I ever met. I got to know him. And yep. when I was in the city and he was playing, for some reason, I struck up a rapport with him as a, as a, as a when he was a visiting player and just a, a wonderful, wonderful yep. man. 
Um, one of the best baseball people I've ever met, and there's no doubt about it. And he's and we miss him to this day. I I, I never got to I never got to meet Don Baylor. Uh, and, and you know, I, when doing the Bombers book and everything else, it was always, of course, because he had been he had already passed, it had been secondhand stuff. But at the same time, everything everybody I talked to, just the most extraordinary stories about how he impacted their life. I mean, Dante Bichette, literally, the reason he's married for the last 27 years. Right. Uh, to the same woman is is Don Baylor marching him back out behind Fenway Park yep. Screen Monster to, to meet. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then you know uh, Andres Galarraga. Everybody knows about you know how he <laughs> opened up his. He found him crying under the Bush Stadium stands, <laughs> and you know had him open up his stance and brought him, got him, you know worked with Bob Gebhardt, get him over here, uh, and re- just <clears throat> completely you know rejuvenated his career. Obviously, won the batting title and everything else, and became a, a perennial All Star Gold Glove guy. And then Carlos Gonzalez, even, I mean, Carlos Gonzalez, I was asking him about his swing one time and he said, that's, that's, that's Don Baylor, man. He, he helped me with the hitch. He helped me with the timing on the step um, and the and the kind of coil, you know, that he had. And Don Baylor just touched so, just so many uh, lives and careers in, in this, in and around this organization over a long time that you think that that's, he's definitely a shoe in for, for something like that. Jack, it's, um, it's 30 years coming up this will be the 30th year big celebration i hope i haven't heard anything about it hope we have some kind of big celebration what's your fe- best memory over these 30 years is it the world series oh i just want to say this about don baylor after he let go here uh, uh gebhardt felt that jim leland was the missing piece and and, um. <laughs> and and leland was fun to be around and he was an interesting guy and he's a great baseball guy but you know he this was pre-humidor and he mailed he, it in when he's here he couldn't get matchups and whatever but Don went to Atlanta yeah. coach that year, and Jones was the MVP. And Chipper gives Don Baylor a lot of credit for um, kind of making him rethink and be more aggressive with his right-handed swing and basically telling Chipper Jones, who, of course, was a switch hitter, you're the number three hitter for the Braves. You know, you're supposed to do some damage from both sides of the plate. And he was very instrumental in, having, in Chipper having an MVP season. Getting back to what you asked me, the World Series. One thing I remember about the World Series, and this always kind of, I can picture this. It opened, of course, in Boston. And uh, I'd been to Fenway numerous times back when I was in Kansas City covering the Royals and then uh, going in there um, to uh, to do sort of uh, takeout stories of whatever. I remember going in there after, the, uh, after they won in 04, going in there in 05 and and Charles Steinberg, who was in their front office, who'd been with the Orioles, who I knew, was always remember him telling me that, you know, they just got so many people asking, is you have some sort of Red Sox artifact, something that we can put by so-and-so's grave um, that will withstand the new have anything. So, you know, these people just want to, you know, <laughs> never saw them win in their 86-year drought. Right, yeah. But what I remember about the World Series is, you know, I've been in been in Fenway many times. It's a it's a unique unique place, but you know, I never sat in the front row of the press box there because that was for the beat writers, and that's you know understood. But for the World Series, there were some seats for the uh, Denver beat writers from mm-hmm. the new the Post, and I just remember sitting in the front row of a place that I've been many times, but not necessarily in the front row. And not necessarily looking down at the Rockies in a World Series and being just about speechless, thinking, you know, unfortunately, Jeff Francis didn't pitch very well that night. And the team's long layoff quickly uh, came back to bite them. But it was still pretty, uh, pretty um, sort of unbelievable to be sitting there having covered the Rockies for all these years 
And to be sitting covering them in a World Series of all places in the front row of the press box in Fenway. Especially given where they were two weeks before that. Yeah. Or, th- yeah. or three weeks before three that weeks when they started that. that incredible run where it's like, wow. I mean, how, who would have thought? started in a game, as I think it was against Florida here on a Sunday. I think they were called Florida then. And Seth Smith, who had come up, hit this like little squibber down the third baseline that somehow started a rally. I don't have my facts. Uh, started right. the rally, the everything. Yep. Yeah. Started the, uh, you know, the 14 out of 15, which became 21 out of 20. Well, right, well Jack, was... let's ask you this, because you've been here longer than uh, than almost anybody. Um, are the Rockies winning a World Series in your lifetime? I'd like to think so, but, uh, you know, I don't know what the over-under on that would be. Um, <laughs> over-under on the World Series or your lifetime? Or both. Both. Yeah. <laughs> I, both. Understand. Uh, I understand. I mean, it certainly doesn't look like it's going to happen imminently. You know, they're they're... They seem to be sort of, you know, and, and this is not a surprise because the, the, the it's two things, the way salaries have escalated, particularly for pitchers this, this offseason. And their desire to get pitching depth means they're, you know, sort of bottom fishing and picking at the corners and whatever and trying to find people and get some inventory and hope one or two of these people hit for however long, a month, two months, whatever. You know, like the guy they traded for today for the from the uh, Red Sox. Yeah, who obviously was expendable, probably been DFA'd, I guess, because the Red Sox, uh, yeah, he had been DFA. So, you know, the Red Sox get the proverbial player to be named or some cash. So, Well, he's been here since day one. He'll be there on opening day again this year. Um, thir- start your 31st year. Jack, we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. It's been a long, long, great run, and it's not close to being over. And uh, hopefully next year, next time we have you on, we'll be talking about Todd Hilton as a Hall of Famer. Let's hope so. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, there Thanks, he goes. Jack, Jack take care. Epkin, appreciate it. Uh, longtime Rocky Mountain News, Baseball Writers Association of America. I uh, appreciate Jack joining us. Manny, you ready to close it out? Yes, I'm trotting in from the bullpen as we All speak right, Manny, to my back, entrance music, whatever that. Manny, back to close to things out for us. You got an entry? We need a walkout song for you, don't we? We're back right after this. Stay with us. It's the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We're back after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Since we're talking Hall of Fame with just a week to go until the big announcement regarding the class of 2023, and Todd Helton's results will be of particular interest around here, I got to thinking, who's going to be the Rockies' next Hall of Famer after Helton? I honestly can't think of a name. I don't think Nolan Arenado is going to be wearing a Rockies cap when he goes to Cooperstown. So for this week's closer, I took a shot at answering that question for each team in Major League Baseball. Who is their next Hall of Famer? We'll just go with Helton for the Rockies since it's not a matter of if he's going to get in, but when. I broke the teams down into six categories, the no-doubters, those with a pretty good shot, those for whom you could see it happening one day, those who might have an outside chance, the they're so young crowd and the teams for whom I've got nothing without further ado. Here is what I have first, the no doubters, the tigers, Miguel Cabrera, the Mariners, Ichiro Suzuki, the angels, Mike Trout, 
The Rangers, Adrian Beltre. The Cardinals, Albert Pujols. The Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. The Giants, Buster Posey. And the Rockies, Todd Helton. The next ones I've got have a pretty good shot. The Twins, Joe Maurer. The Royals, Zach Greinke. The Astros, Jose Altuve. The Braves, Andrew Jones. The Phillies, Scott Rowland. The Nationals, Bryce Harper. And the Reds, Joey Votto. Next, you could see it happening for these guys. The Yankees, Aaron Judge. The Blue Jays, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The Guardians, Jose Ramirez. The Mets, Jacob DeGrom. The Marlins, Giancarlo Stanton. The Cubs, Anthony Rizzo. The Padres, Manny Machado. And the D-backs, Paul Goldschmidt. Now for the maybe an outside chance group. The Rays, Evan Longoria. And the Brewers, Ryan Braun. The They're So Young crowd. The Orioles, Adley Rutschman. Literally one year in the big leagues. And the Red Sox, Rafael Devers, who just got an 11-year contract extension from Boston. And finally, the three teams for whom I've got nothing. The White Sox, A's, and Pirates. What say you? Did I miss anybody? And since this is the final closer before the Hall of Fame announcement, let me wish you a very happy Hall of Fame season. We gotta get Manny an entry song. How about Closer by the Chainsmokers? Nah, we'll work on it. Our thanks to BBWAA Chapter President Jack Edkin for joining us and sharing his three decades of Rockies knowledge. And to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.